Good morning. Thank you for having me here this morning. Uh, it's been a real blessing to get to stay with uh, the Whites this weekend, and uh, it's just a blessing and honor for me to be here to preach, and uh, I'm just thankful for the opportunity. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This sermon today, I just want to give credit to Jay Adams, and I don't know if you know him, but he is considered the founder of biblical counseling, and he is the inspiration for this sermon from his booklet called Christ and Your Problems, and it's just a booklet filled with hope, and I just want to share that hope with you this morning. So let's, let's turn to the Lord and pray. Dear Father, thank you for this time that we can come together and just worship you and sing these songs of praise and these songs of your glory and your goodness and your grace. Thank you that we can come and hear your word preached to us. We pray that you would just calm our hearts, remove any distracting thoughts, that you would open the eyes and the ears of our hearts to hear what you have for us, that you'd fill us with the hope of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Have you ever found yourself in a problem that seemed too great to bear? Or a situation that seemed too complicated to solve? And you thought, no one should ever have to go through something like this. I can't even handle this. How can I even be held responsible for the sin that my situation is causing me to commit? Jill had been married to a selfish husband for 10 years. At the beginning of their marriage, She had hoped that he would change, but those hopes are now gone, and she feels justified in leaving. No one should have to put up with a husband like that, she says to herself. I did my time. No one deserves this. I think I have a pretty good excuse. Bill had been an occasional drinker for years, but lately he's found himself drinking more and more. Lately he's been getting drunk every day, and he can't imagine a day without it. He thinks that he should probably quit, but alcoholism has been in his family, so he believes he's stuck, and he just can't quit. Is there a situation in your life like that? You're suffering from a problem. You have a sin that you just can't overcome. And you even feel justified in sinning because your situation is unique. You're stuck in a rut so deep that the walls of the valley have shut out all the light. Is there hope for a person like that? Is there hope for your situation? Today I want to look at a passage of Scripture that sheds light on this kind of darkness. I'd argue that each one of us is facing or will face a temptation like this. It could be the pressures of life, of family, of marriage, of work, of sickness, It could be a difficult relationship. The possible trials are endless, but God's word holds out the same hope to all of us. So let's read 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
In this passage of Scripture, God gives us four rock-solid truths that create an impenetrable promise of victory to those who are in Christ. So let's look at these promises one by one. What is the first rock-solid truth? It's this. No one's situation is unique. Many other people have faced and are facing the same kinds of trials that we are. And by God's grace, they have also made it through. Our verse says, no temptation or trial. Temptation and trial are translated from the same Greek word. And so we can see them in similar lights. No temptation or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. What that means is everyone faces the same kinds of trials. All temptations are common to man. All trials are common to man. And that means that you are not alone. Many others have walked the same path before you. Whatever your temptation or trial may be, remind yourself of this. I'm not the first one to have this problem. But it's all too easy to think that we're alone. The person addicted to alcohol may think he's the only one. The person in a bad marriage may look around at all the couples in church and think, we're the only ones struggling. But it's not true. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It is true that each situation is unique in that you are you and no one else has been you before. And no one has been in your exact situation before, but your situation is similar in kind or type to many other situations that are common to man. Our situations are not so unique. But we want to use that as an excuse. Our culture says that we can be excused if we had a bad upbringing or if our situation is really hard. Our culture says we can be excused from doing what's right if the other person is doing wrong. And it's all too easy to believe these lies and keep ourselves stuck. But this verse flies in the face of all of our excuses and our blame shifting. It says we all face difficult situations and we all have the personal responsibility to do what's right anyway. We can't say, well, my case is special so I can be excused. You know what? That's really good news. Because excusing ourselves and staying in our problem is an unsatisfactory solution. Who wants to stay in their problem, right? So praise the Lord, our problems are not unique. Jay Adams shares a story about a road trip that he was on near Colorado Springs in a park called the Garden of the Gods. He says, In this beautiful natural wonder, you can see rocks balanced on a pinpoint and vividly colored scenery on all sides. As you drive along slowly, viewing the marvels about you, suddenly you're confronted with a problem. Directly ahead looms a wall of sheer rock, and the, and the road on which you're traveling disappears into what seems to be a crack so narrow that it looks as though you'd have a hard time driving a VW through it. Looking around for a place in which to turn and go back, your eyes fall upon a small white sign. It reads, Narrows. Yes, you can. A million others have. And what do you know? A minute and a half later, a million and one have done it. And that's how it is with our problems. They may seem impossible, but Scripture teaches this. Yes, you can. 
a million others have. You're not alone. Your situation is not unique, and it's not impossible. Now let's look at the second rock-solid truth in this passage. What does the next phrase say? It says, God is faithful. God is faithful. Is there anything more sure or more certain than the faithfulness of God? One could think of the faithfulness of the sun or the seasons. Has there ever been a morning where the sun did not rise? Has Minnesota ever skipped a winter? The sunrise and the seasons are faithful, but God is even more faithful. The sun will burn out. The world as we know it will come to an end, but God will never end, and his faithfulness will never cease. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We could find examples of God's faithfulness etched in almost every page of Scripture. But I want to look at one of my favorite stories of his faithfulness. The story of Abraham and Sarah and their struggle to have a son. God told Abraham to leave his country and go to the land that's now called Israel. And he promised him that he would become the father of a great nation. But there was one problem. Abraham was not a father at all. He had no children. And though he believed God, his wife remained barren for years and years and years. Abraham was getting to be about 85 years old. And his wife was about 75. And he was starting to lose a little hope. So God paid him a visit in Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me a no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What a beautiful picture. God met him in his despair, and you can almost see God's arm around Abraham's shoulder as he pointed with his other hand towards the stars. God was saying, don't worry, Abraham. I'm faithful. Listen to Romans 4.18. It says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham knew with all his heart that God is faithful. 
And even though it seemed impossible, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. And sure enough, God was faithful. Let's read Genesis 21, verse 1. It says, The Lord visited Sarah, and he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What a blessing. Yet what a heart-wrenching story. You'll notice it says that Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. That means that God waited another 15 years after he told him to number the stars before he gave him his son. 15 years. Can you imagine that? That's 15 years on top of 85 years of waiting. They waited a long, long, long time. But that doesn't mean that God was not faithful or that he forgot. Sometimes God makes us wait for a specific purpose, even when we don't know what that purpose is. And often that purpose has to do with something much bigger than us. And that was, that was the case in this situation God teaches us a lesson today in this story that we all need to grab onto, to hold close when life gets hard. Lesson is this. Even when things seem completely dark and all hope is lost, God has not forgotten. And he is faithful to fulfill his promises even when everything around us says it will never happen. They say that the sky is darkest just before the dawn. And when all hope seems lost, the sun will rise again. Because God is faithful. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God stamps his faithfulness to this promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is the third rock-solid truth of this passage. J. Adams says it means this. It means you can't say can't. You can't say can't because God is faithful to not give you more than you can handle in the strength that he provides. Have you ever heard yourself say, I just can't? I just can't stay in this relationship I can't go one more day. I can't overcome my sin. I can't handle one more disappointment. I can't submit to my husband. I can't love my wife. I can't do what God is calling me to do. I've tried and it's just too hard. I can't. Many times a person will get stuck in what seems like a hopeless rut because they have believed the lie that they just can't do what God has called them to do. Jadam says, some might suppose that it is indicative of a basic weakness or inability that underlies their problems. 
This explanation leads to the conclusion that these are people who constitutionally or for some other reason really can't do what God requires. That is, of course, an explanation that accepts their view that they are helpless. It also renders anyone who wants to help as helpless. But then he says, there's another explanation of this phenomenon. The biblical explanation is that men cop out on their responsibilities and fail to accomplish their tasks because of sin. It's not a constitutional problem with our nature that makes us unable to do certain things. It is not as if we physically cannot possibly do what God wants us to do. Deep down, it's because we really just want to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And that's because of our sin. Now, you might think that that sounds kind of harsh, but it's not harsh. It's true. When we choose to not obey God, even when obedience is hard, it's still sin. And the other reason it's not harsh is because this truth actually takes away our helplessness, and it takes away our hopelessness. This truth gives us hope. If it were absolutely impossible for Christians to obey God in some areas of their life, that would be hopeless. But if the real reason we fail to obey is because of our sin, there is hope because Christ defeated sin. The blood of Jesus saves us from sin in every way. It takes away the condemnation of sin, and it takes away the power of sin. In our lives. And in that truth is where our hope lies. If it were literally impossible for us to obey God, we would be hopeless. But if our failure is due to our sin, we can do what what God calls us to do because Jesus Christ has defeated the power of sin in our lives, which means that sin has no power over us to tell us what to do. You see, God in his loving faithfulness shines his light of hope down into our pit of self-loathing, pity, and despair. And he says, you can't say can't. I'm faithful, remember? And I won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. I'll never give you more than you can handle. Just look to my son. He is standing right there next to you, ready to help. What are you waiting for? God confidently promises with the assurance of his faithfulness that he will not give you more than you can handle. Not because he has confidence that you are strong enough, but because he has confidence in his son, Jesus Christ, who lives inside you as a believer. If you're a Christian, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you're in Christ, you can't say can't because God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that's the fourth rock-solid truth of this promise, that no matter how hard the trial or temptation is, God will always provide the way of escape. 
Let's look at this. Sometimes we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. Sometimes, from our own perspective, it looks like there's absolutely no way out of our trial. We're trapped in a box with no way out. So instead of finding a way out, J. Adams says we try to cop out by giving up and quitting. But Christians are never in a box from which they cannot escape, he says. God can make the walls of the box fall as flat as the walls of Jericho. He can open up the lid, reach down, and lift you out. Or he can make the bottom fall out. God will never put us in a box without an exit. Our verse says, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Now, what is the way of escape? What does this mean? Oftentimes, we feel trapped because the exit door that we want to use will not open. It doesn't work. A lot of times, we want our trial or temptation to just simply disappear without any sacrifice on our part. We think, I'm a Christian. Why is my life so hard? Why do temptations continue to plague me like this? Here's why. We keep trying to take the wrong exit. We keep trying to take the easy way out. But in order for us to really escape, we sometimes have to do what is right, even though it's hard. So to answer a question, how do we escape? The answer is this. You must do the next right thing. It's very important. You must do the next right thing, whatever it may be. Here's an example. Bill, the man from the beginning of our sermon, is struggling with alcohol. And he wishes he could quit, but here's the problem. He's not willing to seek for help. And he's not willing to get rid of any of his alcohol. And he wonders why he can't escape. It's because he's not willing to make the sacrifice. He's not willing to ask for help. He's not even willing to take the alcohol out of his house. He just wants to somehow magically stop. The exit route for Bill is right in front of his face. He knows the way out. But he still feels trapped because he doesn't want to take that exit That that exit's hard. He wants an easier exit, but there isn't one. Sometimes getting rid of sin means getting radical. If Bill wants to escape, he must do the next right thing. Sometimes the way of escape means a sacrifice. Sometimes, though, we find ourselves in trials from which we cannot escape in this life physically. Some Christians are paralyzed and in a wheelchair. Some Christians are chronically ill. Some Christians are imprisoned for their faith. And no matter what they do physically, they cannot escape their trial in this life. But that doesn't mean that God is not faithful. That doesn't mean they will be unable to bear it. Sometimes the way of escape is through God taking us home to be with him but he doesn't leave us helpless while we wait. Look at our verse again. It says, With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. For those who suffer physically, or those persecuted Christians who find themselves 
in prison for their faith. For them, their escape is the blessing of endurance until the end. They must also do the next right thing because they face many temptations in their trial. They must do the next right thing, whatever it may be, and God will give them the strength to endure. It might be simply getting up in the morning. The Apostle Paul had a trial like this. He had the blessing of getting to see heaven before he died, and he saw such wonderful things that God had to do something to keep him from being too proud. 2 Corinthians 12.7 says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. How nice was that, right? But three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If I promised you today that if you just trust Jesus, all your difficulties in life will go away, I'd be telling you a big lie. I'd be giving you a false hope. God does not promise his children that life will be easy. But he does promise that in our trials, he will give us the strength that we need to bear them. He will give us an escape, and that escape is the ability to live by his grace and for his glory in obedience to his word, even in the midst of our suffering. It is the ability to do the next right thing, no matter how hard it is. We may be struck down, but in Christ, we are never defeated. For no, for no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In closing, I just want to say, if you are struggling with a trial or a temptation today that you haven't been able to overcome, I want to encourage you to take this verse to heart. I want to encourage you to memorize it and think on its four rock-solid truths. Many of you may be holding hope at arm's length. I know I have done that before. It takes faith to believe in God's faithfulness to help us through the difficult ones. And if you're holding hope at arm's length today, I want to encourage you to share your struggle with someone who can encourage you and help you. Sometimes the help that God gives us is through another brother or sister in Christ. A lot of times our struggles, especially with sin, are not easily won because we don't take the exit door of seeking help from a friend. So if you know what you need to do, turn to the Lord and depend on his strength. And by his grace, do the next right thing. And you will find new strength 
that you didn't even know was there. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises, these rock-solid promises that we can rely on, that we're not alone, that you're faithful, that we can bear up under our trials, and that you won't give us anything more than we can handle. We thank you for this grace. Thank you for these promises. We pray that we will trust in you fully and live out our lives in obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.